0: Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast where sometimes a man freely admits he was wrong of his own volition. Book number 27, Love Struck. Will Suzanne succeed in changing Ken? Hi, welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries. I am, of course, your host, Marissa Flaxbart, and with me today is the wonderful Molly McKellar. Hi, Molly. Hi, Marissa. How are you? I'm fine. Well, thank you for joining me on a very special episode, although I guess as far as these books have gone lately, uh, this is a little bit more run-of-the-mill Sweet Valley stuff than some of the recent uh, drama.
1: Okay, that's good to know, because I've never read any of these books, so I literally was a blind read for me. Yeah, and there was a big surprise for you in the first pages of the book. I didn't know if this was common for the twins to disrupt a kidnapping and then fall right back into normal high school life.
0: Yeah, um, the book has Elizabeth just thinking about how tired she is because she just had to foil this kidnapping. And she's been resting up in the week since, but boy, she needs to get back to the regular swing of things. But she's just like, oh, man, I'm so exhausted. Well, and I love the internal struggle she has over all of this. Like, oh, I mean, this
1: was so dramatic, but I really need to rest. But I should be helping my sister with this random what is it, the centennial that they're having with the the school?
0: Yes, which is something that the books have been leading up to at this point for several books. Oh, really? Yeah, in fact, come to think of it, um, way back, there was a character named Regina Morrow, and she was one of the kidnappees, called Hostage, actually. Yeah. The book was, in fact, called Hostage. Okay, that makes sense. Listeners, gladiators, I guess I'm supposed to call you now, Uh, if you don't know what that means, listen to the last episode gladiators will remember that the last episode was called Hostage, although I guess if you didn't listen to it, then you won't remember that. But yeah, Regina, when she first went to Switzerland, part of the drama of that book was that Bruce Patman was uh, running for centennial... President, or something? Like the okay. chairperson? So that would
1: explain why at the end of this book he thanks Jessica on stage and has access to this like magical budget
0: and everything. Yeah, okay. exactly. He's in charge of that. Okay. Um, but I, I want to actually go back to the beginning of the book, to Elizabeth at the beginning of the book, because I was very tickled by the first sentence of this book, um, which I will read for you.
1: No, it was a. Uh An interesting foyer into 1980s teenage.
0: Yes, and actually, I think the very beginning of this book, um, right off the bat, gives you just a real good setup for the whole Jessica-Elizabeth dynamic. Uh, Chapter 1... Elizabeth Wakefield sat by the family pool in the bright, sweet Valley, California sun, trying desperately to drown out her twin sister's voice. So this is common for them that Elizabeth is like the the level-headed
1: one, which they repeated a lot in this as well. Is this common for these books where they like the dynamic? Yeah, they like reintroduce their relationship. Yeah, this kind of internal struggle she has with her sister, but she loves her. That's pretty much the brief of this
0: entire series. Okay. But then I think after a book or two, they realized that that was not going to float a long-term series alone. So they start introducing other characters. And by the time we get to book number 27, um, the main character, Ken Matthews, is a guy who we have known about from the beginning. This is his first star turn in his own book. But this is one of a, a very rare phenomenon that the character whose head we're in the most often is a male character. That doesn't happen that often.
1: Okay, so this is not typical... For these books to have a view
0: into the male mind, so no. to speak. And I'm actually okay. kind of struggling to think of other titles that might have had that. I mean, there are other books like there was one where Elizabeth went on a date with Nicholas Morrow, and there like there are books that have chapters from male okay. perspectives. And certainly we get a lot of Elizabeth's perspective. Yeah. It, and a little bit of like Jessica's in this book too, but mostly it's Ken, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I I did find it interesting if we could start
0: also with the cover. Yeah, let's talk about the cover <laughs> so, of Love Struck.
1: First of all, I love the art of this like 1970s very realistic portrayal of these two characters. <laughs> and he looks indifferent or almost disgusted by her, and she's uh, lovingly looking at him as if like he's a god. But most of the book, it is
0: opposite of that. Right. <laughs> Until the end. The book says multiple times. It's actually a little bit, um, at a certain point, you're like, I think this might be bad, Ken. Where it's it says repeatedly, every time he looked at her, he got chills. Yes. It's like... I think there might be something wrong there like you've seen her a lot of times like that's sweet i mean I, I don't mean to be unromantic but it was it was just the book reiterated that like three times
1: well i also didn't know how much of this has to do with i assume in these novels they don't talk about sex like everything is very like
0: hand-holding going steady Maybe some kissing. You assume correctly, Molly. All right. I there's thought so, so. There's some subtextual, like, references sometimes, but when uh, push comes to shove, uh, no pun intended, I yeah. feel like saying, but yeah. I don't know. Uh, th- no, no sex is
1: actually happening. Okay. Because to um, me, it could also, that could maybe be the fact that, like, he's gets weak in the knees as... A way to say, you know, he has blue balls without actually saying he has blue balls. Like, he really likes this girl, but nothing's ever going to happen. And so all the time, he's just like, ugh.
0: You know, that is an interesting thing about this book being from a teenage boy, like a 17-year-old boy's perspective, 16, 17. And he's like a super jock. Ken Matthews uh, is the star of the football team, which is very important to the plot of this book. Okay, yes, yes. And, um, yeah, but we don't, there's... That's as far as the sexualizing of Suzanne or any woman goes in this okay. book. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean, like, in this book, right? would yeah. you say? Yeah. yeah. It's
1: very innocent. If
0: it were a genuine... I mean, granted, these books are written, you know, sorry, male readers, you're allowed to read whatever books you want. But these books, I think, were written, um, it is safe to say, for teen girls yes. or preteen girls. Agreed. So, I mean, preteen girl... I think the assumption is probably that they don't want to or maybe, quote unquote, shouldn't be reading what a teenage boy's inner monologue might really be. But its I don't think it's terribly realistic.
1: Well, I can't help but also think of this idea of, like, uh, the innocence of things that to yeah. show girls that boys have the same worries that they do, that they have the same pressures that they do, that... Uh, maybe if they're blowing you off, if your boyfriend's not getting back to you, it's not because he doesn't love you or is interested in you. It's just he has a lot going on in his life. Maybe you shouldn't be like Suzanne and not talk to him about it. You should be more like Elizabeth, who's caring and concerning. And I did like to see this very clear distinction of what a good relationship is or should be and
0: what a bad relationship is. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I liked seeing inside Ken's head because... What this book shows us is actually something, like, fairly nuanced, you know? Yeah. I mean, for especially for these books. Yeah. He uh, has, is having a really hard time in school. That was actually set up in the previous book. Okay. Um, and it, this big centennial game is coming up. Yeah. And Mr. Collins... It calls coach Schultz and Bruce weirdly into a room, and because Bruce is the centennial president, so like he needs to be there, and basically says Ken is failing English if he we can't let him play sports. This is a rule of the school, okay. like I know everybody wants Sweet Valley to win the big game against palisades for right. the centennial, but um Ken can't play unless he passes, and Ken is devastated, but Mr. Collins gives him an out he says if you do okay on the next assignment that we have coming up, then it'll raise your grade enough that you'll be allowed to play. Okay. So that's the setup, right, of the yeah. story. Um, And then where Elizabeth and Jessica come into it well we'll listen to Ken's story, is that Elizabeth uh, is a writer. Yes. So that was – you and I actually are both writers. Yeah. So that was sort of an interesting a glimpse we got into – Like, the way the book talked about... I mean, the book, presumably, is written by a writer, too, so... Well, I
1: liked how they have, like, the experienced writer and the novice writer. Yeah. And what an experienced writer knows how to do and what a novice writer doesn't know how to do. Right. And how uh, their interaction with each other, I thought, was another interesting uh, dynamic between the two of them.
0: Yeah. Um, Elizabeth... I mean, her heart is absolutely in the right place when she agrees to help Ken, but it is a little bit embarrassing for her to be like, hey, Ken, so I heard you're failing English. Yeah, so is this a common theme in
1: these books where, like, this incredibly personal thing just gets brought up and these girls just insert themselves into other people's lives? Like, I heard from so-and-so that your dog died. Let me help you find a new dog. Or, you know, I heard you got your period in front of everyone and that must be really
0: hard for you that kind of stuff yeah definitely okay absolutely (laughs) that is uh, in fact i think there are some i know there are some plots where elizabeth knows something and she's actually trying to keep jessica from finding out about it okay only because she knows that if jessica hears about it the whole school's gonna hear about it because jessica will tell lila or kara and it's just sort of gets spread around uh, the whole school um I'm trying to think if there are any good like writerly passages that I uh that I highlighted about like writer's tips.
1: Well I liked when he I think it might have been when he's going over it's maybe the first night he's
0: trying to read uh her stuff right so elizabeth like meets with ken and she i mean very sweetly gives him a short story that she wrote she's very protective of her short story she never shows them to anybody it's just like not a kind of right she's more of a journalist it's not a kind of writing she feels comfortable with that's an important plot point
1: okay that's good to know Mm because i didn't know it seemed like this was the first time she allowed anybody into her fiction but i didn't know how much that played into other books.
0: Well, it's tempting to just call it like a plot machination because it's necessary for the story of the book, but I actually do think that's something that's come up before, Okay, that Elizabeth doesn't really like to show her fiction writing to anybody. It's it's like her private thing. I believe that that has come up before, so to the book's credit. Maybe it was just a long-term plant for this book, I don't know. Um, But yeah, so she shows him a short story and has all these like notes and outlines that she made. And she thinks by showing him this, he'll be able to kind of recreate it with his own story. Because
1: he he even said to her, well, I don't know how you write all this stuff down. I don't even know where to begin. Like I have my story, but I don't know how to flesh it out. And I thought it was very sweet of her to show the steps. Into what goes into the work behind creating that story? Yeah,
0: and and really uh, like good of her as a junior in high school to kind of have planned that much. I oh, know yeah. my early short story writing, even now probably if I, I, I would <laughs> at least for the short story, I'd probably just sit down on the keyboard and start typing away. Yeah,
1: pretty much. Which I thought was almost too adult of her, but maybe that just seems to be
0: who she is, kind of this old soul that knows how to do this stuff. I think that's accurate. So here is a passage that describes Ken's perspective on writing, from chapter two. As he walked down the hall, Ken knew that if he was going to pull this one off, he'd need some help. He had never been any good at writing. For some reason, when he had to pull a whole idea out of his head and develop it, He froze. It was funny. It didn't bother him at all to face a whole line of 180-pounders who wanted his blood, but the sight of a blank sheet of paper gave him chills.
1: I did laugh at those kind of (laughs) notes of, I can be manly and I can do this, but the moment I have to do something intellectual, it's hard for me.
0: And and yet another thing that gives Ken chills. He gets chills a lot. So the main thing that (laughs) gives Ken chills in this book is uh, his... Is Albatross is Suzanne.
1: Suzanne. Is Suzanne prob- Hanlon. Yeah.
0: Who is a relatively new I mean, she got mentioned throughout the last book, okay. but we don't really know her. And she's, I mean, to me, this is one thing that you would not know, having this been your first book. Yeah. Sweet Valley is populated by these, you know, rich families, and they just keep springing up more and more wealthy families. Like, it started out the Fowlers and the Patmans, and then the Marrows moved to town. But now come to find out that the Hanlons have been here all along, and he drives up to this house that they live in, and it looks like a plantation, and he's just like she, this. Just is another another absurdly rich family in Sweet Valley.
1: Yeah, the, I also thought that was somewhat interesting. This idea of uh, so there's Ken. Who, I love that they made a point, drives a Toyota. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, that's like the the cheap car. Like, how could he just drive a Toyota up to yeah. this house? I'm like, you have a car, for starters, as a teenager, that's your own car. Very few people yeah. have that in high school.
0: The book even gives him a moment of gratitude for that. Yeah. Like, you know, he was doing okay. His You know, he had a nice house. He had his own car to drive. But that was nothing compared to this. I thought that was actually sort of a sweet moment of, yeah. like, self-awareness. Uh, but yeah,
1: it just, and then, you know, and then, so it seems like this weird classified, like there's the really rich kids who go to their school or randomly appear and they, I don't, are they always snotty like her? Are they always this kind of pretentious,
0: I have to like all of these esoteric. No. Okay. Um, no, snotty maybe, but yes, so you, you're hitting on Suzanne's primary character trait, which is that she is highfalutin, yes. you know? Oh yes, very much so. Let's think, of what are the things that she references? She references Mozart initially. The, the, she takes the, Ken, to Ken to a Mozart, a Mozart concert. concert. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Nothing but wrong. But we learn that she disdains rock and roll. Exactly. So Ken has a Mozart cassette that he plays in his car. She gave it to him. He was disappointed. <laughs> but he plays it when she's in the car with him. But when he drives it himself, he ejects it and plays... The uh, Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones. Which instead. I giggled about. Yeah.
1: And then uh, they go to a Bergman film.
0: Yes, she invites him to an Ingmar Bergman film, which is... I mean, us two film people, I don't know what you thought about that, but I found that to be a fairly delicious part of the story. I love that it's just like,
1: hmm, let's pick a random like who's who encapsulates this kind of person? Let's yeah. pick this and then have him go to this film with uh, her friends of hers, which also seemed kind of odd that they yeah. just like randomly were there. it's and-
0: it's so like painful, but also actually a little bit funny, and and also totally weird. She calls him up and invites him to this movie, and she says, you know, go to the latest Ingmar Bergman film. Oh no, she says, I'm sorry, she says come see the seventh seal with me. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I don't think I've heard of that one. Like, I must have, did it come out last summer? Like, I must have missed it. And she's like, quietly, it's like, it came out in 1957, I think. (laughs) But You know, he goes, and he hates it, and he can't read the Swedish subtitles, although he's glad that there are subtitles. Yeah. Um, But, you know, he is trying to seem smart enough for her. Uh, But, so I would say that other rich characters are snobby in their own way. Okay. But it has more to do with just, like, having money and, like, being better than other people because they have money. Okay. I would say the Maros are accepted from that. None of them have really the same kinds of, like, uh, culture... Like a culture snobbishness. Okay. So, Ingmar Bergman, we've got the Mozart. She's uh, putting together this poetry night. The poetry night at school, who she's
1: inviting different people to read. There's also at the family dinner, they have this uh, sighting of Shakespeare.
0: Right, it's like a family hobby. Yeah, joke. Yeah, joke, yeah. it's like an inside joke that they all know what scene in what act of what show their dad is quoting at the table because. Their dad their grandfather always quoted Shakespeare and they laugh and the dad of course hates football. So there's a lot of like I don't exactly know what Suzanne sees in Ken in the first place, other than that he's, you know, hot as hell. Yeah. Uh, getting back to the cover, I mean look at that face. He's 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 chiseled. Beautiful.
1: I think he has blue eyes.
0: I would assume. He, he, yes, he does. He has blue I think he's eyes. ever described as blonde in these books, but he's definitely blonde. And yeah. I think that what we're supposed to be seeing, going back to the cover here, is him looking sadly conflicted. Oh, but I agree okay. with you that he looks a little bit like he's, he looks disdainful of her. But I think he's supposed to be feeling guilty that yeah. he's, I mean, oh, oh, so it's really important. Can... <laughs> Ken has not told Suzanne about failing English, about the ultimatum with the paper, about getting help from Elizabeth, because he knows that Suzanne sees him as smart. There's actually um, a beautiful line, I thought, uh, where he complains to Suzanne that he's not smart enough for her, and she says, being smart doesn't have anything to do with how many things you know, it has to do with how you think about the things you do know.
1: Which makes me wonder if that's how she somehow decided to like him, that he, he said something clever, or he said something uh, that made her think, and that's why you're like, oh, yeah. here's this cute boy that also had something interesting to say. Or the fact that he seems to dote on her, and he will do anything yeah.
0: for her. She kind of runs their relationship. Yeah. Ken's not a dumb guy, I guess I should say that. Just yeah. Just because he's a football player, and he's doing poorly in English. We see him do great at math, and eventually he's able to, I mean, spoiler alert, he's able to pull it off with English. But I guess we should say, just because we're talking about how Ken and Suzanne have this sort of weird love, I mean, weird love is actually not a, that's not accurate. What I would say is they have this relationship that doesn't quite make sense to anybody, but they both have a lot of lust for each other I think is yes. what's happening
1: I think there's there's lust there for sure Yeah, and maybe some common interest in the fact that they that he sees her more than just some snotty girl because that was the part I couldn't quite understand because everyone else that he knows doesn't understand why he would be with someone so rude and that maybe other people treat her that way so if she's snotty and pretentious and people kind of call her out on that, like, you're being snotty, like, you're get-over-yourself type of thing, she maybe feeds into that where he actually just treated her like a normal person. But I guess I'm reading way into trying to make sense of a fictional teenage romance and really it probably is just lust.
0: I mean, I really <laughs> like that you're giving the book the benefit of this doubt because I don't know if can treat Suzanne like anything other than, like, he, he sort of worships her, but why not, you know? Right. Uh, she clearly thinks that the football thing is just, like, for fun for him, and, like... Well, she doesn't get it. Like, yeah. she,
1: she understands that he's smart, and I think what I liked about this is this idea that women can mold men into something if they just try hard enough, and men will submit to that so long as they're sexual desires or whatever are or their ego let's say the ego like people don't see ken as smart even though he is smart he's a football player and that kind of internalization of all i am is a football player i'm good at sports but i did i guess in the book they did say you know he knew other athletes that were also good at school but he himself couldn't identify being good at school and being good at sports
0: This is very interesting, and I think that you have actually hit on what the book means at the end when it says what Ken loved about Suzanne, he realized, was the way it made him feel to be associated with her. Yeah. And that is... That's I think that's what it gets at. It's not that it made him feel fancy. It's that it made him feel, and she made him feel, that he was an intelligent person, which is something that he didn't feel like. And so, in fact, the whole relationship with Suzanne and the failing of the English class are actually tied together because he is... Like, his bad feelings about the English class are buoyed by this person that he's associated with now. But he also,
1: I think it's commendable that he accepts help from someone right so from Elizabeth yeah, from Elizabeth and he falters I don't know if we should get into the fact that he then stole her story
0: well yes and didn't you see I mean you did you see it coming oh of course I saw it coming
1: (laughs) I mean he's going out every night beforehand and he's putting it off of course it's gonna happen so
0: because Ken hasn't told Suzanne about the English thing he can't use that as a reason... He can't... When she keeps on calling him every night and being like, yeah. let's go to the movies. And, oh, by the way, we're going to go to dinner before the movies. And, oh, we're going to go to pizza after the movie. Which, Which I thought so was sense. weird. He yeah. ate dinner before the... I guess he's a football player, but so. a teenage football player. Um, but, yeah... And then the next day, like, let's go do this thing. And and Ken only has, he's put this off to the last minute. So he only has, like, two days to write this story. And he, but he doesn't explain, he feels he can't explain to Suzanne why he would turn her down. He doesn't really want to turn her down. So... He sits in front of his typewriter, just drawing a total blank. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that yeah. feeling of just, like, I don't know how to write. Why are they asking me to do something I don't know how to do? This is impossible. I'm not a writer. Blah, blah, blah. And then he finally, like, I don't know. He really, it's, I mean, I feel for the guy in terms of having your schedule stacked too tightly. But he also, I
1: mean, it's, it's obviously, I remember high school and it was one thing after another. Like, you get up early to go to some club in the morning, and then you go to school all day, and then you have a sport or theater or something after school, and then you have to meet with someone with a project, and before you know it, it's 8 or 9 o'clock at night, and you have to go home and do all of your homework for the next day, and you're exhausted and you're falling asleep. Like, I understand all of that, but I love that he... It's almost shame, right? Like, he has this shame about his inability to do this schoolwork. He's worked himself up so much that it has to be this, like, perfect thing for him in order to play in this football game.
0: And then he reads the perfect thing. Right, he reads a little bit of the story. There's some funny moments when he first sees Elizabeth's story at her house where he starts being like oh wow this is great this is really good and like it's the moment she's handed him the paper like there's no way he could have read more than like a paragraph of it but turns out it's even better than he could have imagined and you know this is like 2.30 in the morning the night before the stories do which I mean you do want to smack him right like buddy the whole reason you're stressed out about this is because your whole football playing career is depending on it so just say no to one person. Like, tell the coach, for example, yeah. that you need to cut out of practice early tonight. Like, the coach would let you do that. Coach Schultz would be like, oh, so you can pass yeah. your class and play the game? Okay. But Maybe how skip much of, practice tonight. But
1: how much of that has to do with the fact that those are adult rational thoughts? Oh, yeah. All of it. Right? <laughs> and the, I did like v- that this book in many ways stayed true to the teenage well i had this is the end of my world and i can't tell anybody about this and and i can only ask for help in some ways but really it's down to me in this very internalized way of viewing things that he has no skills of asking for well maybe i should get an extension maybe i should do this that's something i feel like you learn as you get older
0: well, shockingly, I think what we're getting at here through all of these different things is that this book actually has a lot of good lessons it for does. teenagers who read it. It like, does. Like, you know, boys are people too. Yeah. Ask for help. Um, you need to, like, manage your time better. Yeah. Um, women don't try to change a man. Yeah. Even though he will let you try. And men don't date a woman that, that tries to change you. you. I yeah. can think of a few men in my life. I yeah. wish I'd read this book as teenagers. <laughs> And women, too, I guess. So, okay, so where are we story-wise? We've got, yeah, so he's, it's 2.30 in the morning. 2 2.30 in the morning. He finally reads Elizabeth's story, like, maybe this will help him get his juices flowing. Yeah. And his writing juices. And um, he just realizes that he has no hope, or he decides he has no hope. And he knows that no one has seen the story before. His
1: rationalization actually was hilarious to me because I feel like I've heard that same thought pattern from people I know or even myself about various things. Not to the extent of stealing people's work, but, like, (laughs) uh, it's 3.30 or, you know, it's 2.30 in the morning. What am I going to do? No one has read this but her, and she's never going to see it because it's just an assignment I have to do for class. It won't be brought up, like... All of this stuff he's rationalizing, and I'm sure as you reading it, I know it's like, oh well, it's going to come out. Like, it's someone's going to find out. You just know that that's what's going to happen. Of course, yeah. I just didn't realize it was going to
0: be in such a large way that
1: it was going right. to come out.
0: So, so let's get to let's talk about Elizabeth and Jessica for a second. Okay. Um, you referenced earlier the picnic.
1: Yes, the centennial picnic that Jessica is the
0: chairperson of? Yes. Okay. And so the reason that the first sentence of the book, Elizabeth is trying not to listen to Jessica, is because Elizabeth is trying to relax and recover from her harrowing kidnap adventure, and Jessica should be too, but Jessica just keeps on talking about the picnic. Elizabeth is actually, we find her thinking... Jessica seems to think that the Centennial Picnic is the only thing that's happening for Centennial Weekend. And she does talk about it like yeah. that. It's going to be the picnic after the big football game. Exactly. So, she's asking everybody for help. She's asking Elizabeth for help. But Elizabeth can only help so much because she is writing a, big, a bunch of stories for the newspaper.
1: Yeah, the, it seems the newspaper is covering the entire event. So, they're all responsible for different things. And she yeah. sounds like she has a very tight schedule that day. Like, she has yeah. to get a parade, and then a mural. She's covering
0: the game. Like, yeah.
1: all of this kind of stuff. Yeah. And it seemed, I didn't also know, it seemed as if Jessica was very good at getting people, manipulating people into doing things for her. Yeah. And Elizabeth resents either that she has an ability to get that from people or the fact that she gives in to her sister. And yeah. this seemed to be maybe the first time that she was finally saying, like, look... This is how
0: I can help you. I cannot help you any more than this. Yeah, I don't think it was the first time, but I do think that Elizabeth is more explicitly exasperated with Jessica from okay. from go than she usually is in <laughs> these books. But she, you know, she draws a line. However, Jessica, I mean, just to talk about Jessica for a second, one thing that she does get Elizabeth to do is to agree to man a kissing booth. Which I was shocked by <laughs> that that was still a thing in the 80s yeah it says um, Jessica says to Elizabeth well it'd be a big help if you'd man the kissing booth after all you're the most logical choice what guy on Sweet Valley wouldn't pay a dollar to give Jessica Wakefield's twin a kiss Jess your humility amazes me Elizabeth said giggling I guess I didn't giggle but I was choosing the more sardonic delivery but actually that job doesn't sound bad alright I'll do it (laughs) I thought it was funny. Like, oh, that job doesn't sound bad. I love kissing everybody that pays me a dollar. You're
1: like, sure. All right. Why okay not? List.
0: I mean, I guess, you know, Elizabeth's single and ready to ready to mingle with strangers for money. It's for a good cause. That's important. It's for charity. Right.
1: It's for charity. And I had the last reference I remember to a kissing booth is Revenge of the Nerds. Mm. In the film, they have a kissing booth there. Um but that's it. That's like the last time I had ever heard of such a thing. Maybe this
0: is more common. Though. I'm trying to think if I've ever seen one in real life. I've I don't, never seen I don't think one so. in real life for uh, a variety
1: of reasons. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but uh, so the reason that it seemed prudent to talk about all the centennial business is that Elizabeth, as part of her, you know, omnipresent role mm-hmm. at the school newspaper, is a party to this thing. Like so much later in the book. Uh, when it's the day that Ken has turned in his paper to Mr. Collins. Well, Mr. Collins is also chairperson for the newspaper. Okay. He's like the, the teacher yeah. advisor. Not chairperson, but so the teacher does advisor. does Mr.
1: Collins play into previous books at all? Like yes. how? Okay. And how often are teachers, are their presence in the books much like this one? Like, they appear, they have like a concern for their student, they somewhat intervene, it's
0: solved, and then they go away? Yeah, mostly. Okay. Usually. We have an ongoing segment of this show called Collins Watch, Collins Watch. Okay. Um, where we monitor of uh, the way that uh, girls find Mr. Collins sexy, Aww. but that doesn't really, even though Mr. Collins is in this book a ton, that doesn't really come up, no. uh, I think, which is interesting, it's like, the the male gaze of Mr. Collins <laughs> is not the same as, uh, uh, I mean, I'm sure there are some boys at, at Sweet Valley High that have the hots for uh, oh, Mr. Yeah. Collins, but that does not get talked about in the series, alas. Um... So, Olivia Davidson, I think it is, like, comes running into the Oracle editorial office. Yeah, and she's like, Elizabeth, get a load of this! We've got to publish this great story that Ken Matthews wrote. Uh, and Elizabeth is excited to see it because oh, yeah. she really wants to read Ken Matthews' uh, paper. She was really rooting for him, obviously. She helped him out. Yeah, when she, She's asked, seen Ken Matthews already that day, and like, oh, I can't wait to read your story, and he's like, ugh. I'll show it to you when I'm ready, you know? Well, and I couldn't help but wonder if part of her was this pride, like
1: somehow she'd helped him achieve this like great goal, and it turned out to be even better than she I'm anticipated. Sure. Which I think she somewhat mentioned as she was reflecting on it of, oh, good for Ken. I'm so glad that he was able to do this. And isn't this wonderful that it's such a great story? I can't wait to read it kind of thing.
0: Well, also, when she runs into him earlier, Ken says, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to bring your paper to give back to you. I'll give it back to you later. Which (laughs) brings us to the point that Ken has not even, like, bothered to retype Elizabeth's story. He... Has just taken her story and like replaced the cover page with the cover page that has his name on it. So, how is he expecting to give the story back to her ever if it's gonna be marked up with teacher comments and stuff? Well, didn't
1: she say
0: after, like,
1: oh, that's great because that's my only copy? <laughs> and so there's this point where it's like, Ugh.
0: oh, Ken. But so Ken is uncomfortable already. But whatever, he's he'll play the game, and then I think maybe he thinks then he'll come clean after he after the game or something.
1: Yeah, I think he'd r- rationalize like I just have to get through this to get through the game, and then I'll say what I did.
0: We should say in case uh, listeners have not gotten that already, there is like no hope for Sweet Valley to win this game without Ken.
1: Navier. Oh yes, they have the the football quarterback of the other team the palisades oh yeah whatever they are is already being scouted by colleges like he is like the shit when it comes to football in their area yeah and so for him for them to even come close to beating them ken not only has to play but he has to play like really well like he's going up against someone of uh, really high athletic yeah
0: um ability. peter strauss there we go of the palisades pumas yes uh anyway so olivia davidson right she's yeah. running into the oracle office We've gotta read the story we gotta publish the story yes Apparently the Oracle has never published fiction before, but... Which makes no sense to me whatsoever. But it's like... Yeah, I know, right? But it's like this big celebration. Like, Ken wrote this amazing story. Like, what a comeback, yeah. you know? Not just a football comeback. It's a, it's an educational, academic personality comeback. It's a great story. We gotta go with it. Yeah, Elizabeth turns the cover page and is like, shit. Yeah. And... I guess to her credit, I mean, she's not just like, Ken didn't write this, because she doesn't want to, like, ruin everything for everybody either. But she tries to make a case to the rest of the editorial staff that they can't publish it because Ken wouldn't want them to. They can't publish it because uh, they never publish fiction.
1: Well, what I love is it showed her shock. Then it showed, like, oh, this can't be, maybe he made a mistake, right? Like, mm-hmm. maybe he got things shuffled and picked up the wrong yeah. thing. And that's
0: when she realized, like, no, like, the type doesn't even match or something. Right. She saw the cover page. Yeah. It's, it's like, stapled together or whatever. And exactly. she saw that he'd typed the name of the story, which is called... New, New Kid. Kid. New Kid. And, and
1: then, you know... Then she realizes, like, wait a second. This is my story. This is not a mistake. What's going on? I need to talk to him first. And I thought that showed incredible maturity Mm -hmm. and loyalty Yeah, that she would, and protection of, like, the town. In some ways, I thought it was interesting that Elizabeth is showing strength where Ken cannot. So Elizabeth has all the same pressures on her she has her sister counting on her for this picnic to go really well or else she's gonna like kill herself or run away right. and she has the newspaper that she has to be responsible for and make sure that they cover everything really well yeah then she takes on the role of helping him with something on top of all of this and recovering from some <laughs> kidnapped- <Resultion>. yeah yeah <laughs> And so instead of just kind of getting angry or flustered, she has the ability to remove herself from the situation and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Ken a moment. I'm going to try and talk them out of this, that they've never published fiction or you can't do this. Mm-hmm. And she gets overruled and she allows it to happen, but she doesn't vote for it. It's not like she signs on. She's like, okay, I'm just going to wait and see what he has to say.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then he, she goes to him, in the, like, locker
0: room, exactly. right? Exactly. She, like, barges into the
1: boys' locker room. I love it. Which was hilarious. And she's so angry. And you can, like, feel how angry she is. And he is. knows
0: as soon as he sees her oh, yeah.
1: that she has found out. And her ability to, f- I don't know, if forgive him necessarily, but see how awful he feels about all yeah, of Yeah, it's
0: a little bit weird. It's, it's actually... I mean it's great. Yeah. But the book describes her seeing his face and realizing how sorry he is and just like not like feeling more like sharing in his bad feelings exactly. more and like sadness more than feeling angry at him, which is beautiful.
1: And then the fact that she then lets it go on so that the game can happen. Like she's almost taking on some of his stress, some of right. his uh, when he confesses, which in some ways actually shows what a healthy relationship would be with the partner, that you would share that and you would
0: somewhat take on the burden of that. Well, let's think about that for a second because yeah. I thought that maybe, I mean, I've read this book before, but yeah. as uh, the gladiators will be aware, yeah. I uh, often like sort of forget what happened in the book before and then I, I come up with theories or like I think I remember right. or something. This was something where I was like, is there going to be some kind of a romance confusion? Like, is Suzanne going to be jealous of Elizabeth? But that doesn't come up. But I do think that Elizabeth and Ken have a real, like, you know.
1: Well, they you clearly have a solid friendship, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't, I assume Elizabeth is someone who cares very deeply about people. Yeah. And people who are trying to better themselves. She
0: seems to have... More oh, tolerance she's for that? definitely a major player in the bettering of the citizens okay. of Sweet Valley High. Okay. So, it
1: was interesting that she kind of shares this burden with him.
0: Yeah. And, you know, he's basically says that he's going to try to fix it, but she doesn't, like, stand in the way of it getting published. And I kind of thought he was going to go right to Mr. Collins and be like, listen, this is what happened. Yeah. But instead, he just sort of, he tries to come up with a plan. And this is my favorite part of the book now. When he... Me too. You know, he goes home and he's thinking it through. And um, he basically realizes that there's only one thing that he can do, which is to try and write his own story. And the book is actually... Doesn't totally spell it out. But what becomes clear is that Ken has written the story of what actually happened to him. Like what he did. And why. And the pressure he was feeling as a football player, the star football, like all of his emotions about the situation. He's going to put that into a fictional, quote, I'm doing air quotes, story as a short story. Which a lot of short stories are like that, right? And turn that in. And suddenly then his like mental block about... Writing because it's they've said before that he can write like a research paper. It's just the creative part of it. yeah, that stumps him. but he does, you know the advice that writers get all the time. it's solid advice, which is like write your own story. Yeah. So then he gets a he gets a phone call from Suzanne. and I would like to read that uh, section because I find it very satisfying. agreed. <laughs> Ken's bedroom was quiet. He sat down in his desk chair and pulled a sheet of typewriter paper from a desk drawer, then loaded the paper into the machine. Thoughts began to race through his mind. For a full half hour, he sat there thinking. Then the phone rang, breaking his concentration. He reached for the receiver. "'Hello?' he said. "'Hi, Ken.' It was Suzanne. She sounded excited and happy. "'A group of us is going to check out the centennial exhibit at the library, and I thought you might like to come.' I'm sorry, Suzanne, Ken answered, but I've got a lot of work to do. Suzanne's voice dropped immediately. Oh, the exhibit opens tonight. I thought it could be sort of a celebration. Ken knew he couldn't see Suzanne that night. He knew it would hurt too much to pretend that everything was fine. More important, he didn't have the time. The Oracle went to the printer's first thing on Monday morning. I'm sorry, he repeated. I can't make it. Suzanne's voice took on a harsh edge. "'I can't see what's so important, Ken. I mean, this is sort of a special thing, and I've already told everyone you'd be there.' "'I'm really sorry, Suzanne,' Ken repeated. "'I'll call you tomorrow, okay?' "'Okay?' "'Bye,' Suzanne said abruptly before she slammed down the receiver. Ken shook his head as he returned to the typewriter. Now Suzanne was mad at him, he thought. But for some reason, that didn't bother him so much.' As he looked at the blank page before him, he had an idea. Suddenly, all of those random thoughts began to organize themselves. Ken began to type. Even with his hunt-and-peck style of typing, he managed to fill the first page in almost no time. He continued to type a second page, then a third. Soon, Ken found himself sitting at his desk, staring at a story. One that said just what he wanted to say. It was about five pages long and contained lots of typing errors and misspellings. But it was his. It was his. I loved that point where he
1: finally makes a decision to do the right thing, but also the right thing for him.
0: Yeah, and it's clever, really, nice. because then the next day he's like, catches Liz on the way to the printers and is like, publish this story instead. And Liz is like, oh, but we can't change it now. But when she sees what he's done, yeah everybody's like, oh, this is actually really brave, because, I guess it's, we didn't say this, but it's important to note, and the passage kind of indicates, people at the school, because I guess gossip high school, have found out that apparently Ken wrote this amazing story, and it's going to be published, and he's going to be playing in the game, and everybody's so excited, because it's like, yay, Ken! And and Suzanne is like, Ken, I knew you were brilliant all along, you know, it's, it's which is part of why Ken feels so bad, right? And remind,
1: and If I remember correctly, right, he starts writing this after he has to turn in this story, right? And he said later that he worked on it all weekend. But during this time, isn't the game, like, doesn't it go like he decides to start the story and then there's the football game and then he turns it in on Monday? Or is it that... Now I'm getting no, confused. it
0: can't be because right. it, the it's like the the issue comes out before the big the game. Day, it's like That's the right. day of the game. Okay, so he, which must be, have been on Monday. Yeah. So he or he, I don't know how long it takes for the paper to get printed, but I think maybe the the issue came out like midday on Monday. Like the okay. paper's printed Monday. He, it's like Friday night. He's starting his paper. He works on it and all fixes weekend. it all weekend. Yeah. And then Monday rolls around. He catches Liz. The paper gets printed. He spends more time on this story than he ever did uh, even trying to write the other one.
1: And then he, what I loved also is, so he finally gets it in the newspaper, right?
0: And it gets printed, and then it's released. Yeah. And everybody reads it, and they really like it. Yeah, they think it's well written. Yeah. They're all sure that it's not uh, just fiction. Yeah. But Elizabeth is, I think, still hoping that maybe they can pretend that it was fiction. Yeah. She finds out that Ken is being called to the principal's office. And then there's this big scene that's a little bit, like, I mean, it's nice, but it's a little bit, like, he admitted what he did, and instead of punishing him in any way, they just say, all right, well, you showed a lot of
1: courage. courage.
0: And you took
1: on, what was it? Courage and sacrifice, or something like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, by revealing what he did to the whole school, and like basically, he had—he didn't have to do this. No, you know, he did the wrong thing. He didn't have to come clean at all. And oh, that's what it was. Is what I
1: liked about that meeting with the principal and the. So it's the principal, uh, Mr. Collins, yeah. mm-hmm. and the coach, mm-hmm. and. The principal said, well, if you would have handed in this story as your own, you would have gotten an A. But because you did what you did, you're getting a C, and you're going to still fail English, or or you have to, like... You, you still don't qualify but we're allowing you to play in this game. Something like something that. Something like to that.
0: A C was enough to like barely squeak by. by. I think yeah. that's what it was. Was that like if you get a C on this paper, like that was what you needed to get yeah. to, to be able to skate by. Something um, like that.
1: And so but then in some way, so he leaves the principal's office, he almost is in shock because he was prepared for something far worse. Yeah. As I think we all do. And then he's pleasantly surprised, and I think it's that idea of the reward of teaching teenagers that truth sets you free. Like if you you fess up Aww. and you you take responsibility for your actions as a young person, you might be rewarded with something that you weren't
0: anticipating.
1: Is how I interpreted why that was written the way it That's was.
0: Beautiful. Um, the then, but then he runs into Suzanne. Yes. and Suzanne. I mean, Suzanne is angry at him, but I actually kind of agree with Suzanne's point to a, a little bit. Like, especially her character as someone, a lover of, of the arts. Exactly. She, she doesn't really care about the content of his story. She's focusing on the fact that he stole. Yes. Which he did. Like, so, her initial anger is, I think, justified. But Ken can't help but notice that everybody else, like, when he he goes to the football practice, he's ready to get yelled at by the team for, they're going to hate him for what he did, but instead, they they cheer him on, they congratulate him on being a great writer, on being so brave, blah, blah, blah. We all make mistakes, which I thought was an interesting line to put
1: in there by, like, the sophomore, like, his buddy, wide receiver, Mm -hmm. who's younger than him. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it's very interesting
0: who gets forgiven and who does not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. Right. Well, and then, speaking of being forgiven, um, I mean, they play the game. They play, they win. Shocker, yeah. Right. Uh, Sweet Valley wins. It's a, you know, it's a nail-biter. It is. And Ken even has the big play. Like, he has to run it. He's the quarterback. But he has to run the ball into the end zone, and he, like, jumps over a bunch of bodies and, like, a huddle of, uh, like... Um. Oh, my God. All my football words are, are leaving me.
1: Oh, you mean, like, the, the front line or their... Like, there's,
0: like, a pile of old oh, yeah. guys. <laughs> he jumps over <laughs> And he wins the game for the team. Yeah. And then he sees Suzanne, who was there at the game, and is ready to forgive him. And that's beautiful. Except, like, the moment after they make up, she's, like now I'll come over and hang out with my friends. Yeah, she's like, okay, let's get back
1: to it, because clearly you've demonstrated that you are smart. So in some ways it was as if she didn't know that he could be smart. Like, she was just kind of cheering him on, like, no, you're not, right? And then he writes something, and he, it's well-written, and it's well-received. So she then realizes, like, oh, well, you really are. You can forget football. Just forget all of that. And then you could start doing this with me and studying more and trying Mm -hmm. to make him into this little nerd buddy that she wants so desperately.
0: Yeah. I mean, basically, she just wants him to hang out and do what she wants. Exactly. But, and, and she does, like you said, she is not interested in having a boyfriend who is like genuinely interested in football. Yeah. Like, you think she would have caught on by now that he was genuinely interested but, and now it's like the veil has, is lifted, and he realizes that he never actually was in love with Suzanne. Yeah. It was just the idea, or how Suzanne made him feel, being the kind of guy who could be with Suzanne. Yeah. And that she didn't really love him either, because what she loved was the idea of him being the guy that was the guy that she wanted, which he was kind of pretending to be. Yeah. So, anyway, they... Break up in and he's sort of like,
1: kicks her to the curb. Yeah, like in this like very, if the role if the genders had been reversed, if it had been a woman breaking up with like the controlling boyfriend type of thing, you'd be like, yeah, girl, you go. And so I could help but find myself like, yeah, Ken, stand up for yourself. <laughs> you need to be with someone who appreciates you. You should go be with Elizabeth.
0: Like. <laughs> Um, And so all of this wraps up then at the picnic, where Jessica has gotten herself into a huge mess because she forgot to confirm with the caterers, and she goes home and makes a bunch of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. We actually come back to a recurring theme that really pisses me off, which is where nobody in Jessica's family can forgive her for the one time she gave them food poisoning. They f- oh, it's that's like, come up a lot. Yeah, it's like <laughs> Jessica actually has shown, I've stand, said these words many times on the podcast yeah. before, Jessica showed an aptitude for cooking, but her family shot her down because she screwed up once, and now they cannot let it go. Okay. But she doesn't actually cook. She makes a bunch of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Now, she's hiding in the bushes at the picnic.
1: Which I find hilarious that that's where
0: you decide
1: to hide yourself. Like,
0: literally in a bush. Like, they talk about the bushes, like, the parts of the bush... Parting and, Elizabeth yeah. and Jessica comes out when Elizabeth finds her. But Jessica thinks everyone's going to be mad at her because they paid $7 for right? this picnic and they're only getting a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and some potato chips. Of course, it is all for charity. Nobody cares. Everybody's having a great time. Yeah, And Bruce pulls her up on stage and she clearly doesn't realize until she's being congratulated that... He is congratulating her because her stunt of having cheap food kept the food budget to seventy five dollars, and now they're going to be giving almost two thousand dollars to the charity, whatever it was that. They're... Which is
1: a lot of money, mm-hmm. at the, at especially time. in like nineteen
0: eighty six. Yeah,
1: that's a lot of money for a school to raise. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I mean, of course, I feel like the Patmans could have just written a check. Oh, well, yeah. For, but they are yeah. You, know, you can't rely on the wealthy no. families to do all the the lifting. Yeah.
1: But I I did laugh when she does have that epiphany, like, Oh yeah, I purposely planned it this way. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I saw and I wanted to be helpful, so this is why I made this choice. Yeah. Yeah. And the line I think Elizabeth said, like, there's Jessica, always somehow comes out better than she was before. <laughs> like can yeah. be unscathed by any yeah. of the decisions that she makes.
0: Absolutely. Um, well, so there's another thing. We got to the end of the story, but yeah. there um, are some beautiful tidbits that we left out. Uh, some of that we can talk about in extra drama next yeah. week. But I would like to talk a little bit about boys.
1: Ooh, boys! Oh, oh a beautiful, boy, a beautiful boy. I'm in danger of losing my head to...
0: There are some boys and men of interest in this, uh, in this book. Um, for example, when Ken first shows up to the Hanlon house, there is a man who answers the door that I'd like to talk about. That part was funny. Ken rang the doorbell. Inside, he could hear it chime like the bells in a church steeple. Almost immediately, a man in a dark suit opened the door. Ken smiled brightly. Mr. Hanlon? Hi, I'm Ken Matthews. I'm not doing Ken's voice today. say. Let me see. I'll do a Ken voice. Mm-hmm. Mr. Hanlon? Hi, I'm Ken Matthews. The man in the suit scowled at him. My name is Mason, sir. I'm the butler. Miss Hanlon is expecting you. This way, please. (laughs) So they have a butler named Mason. And that's all about Mason, really. About
1: Mason. Uh, The things that I liked about Mason were the stereotypical butler. But more importantly, when he gets put in this like drawing room and for some reason it's like 1930s british something or other Uh and he's waiting for suzanne to like come and get him yeah uh she says oh no he was wonderful as a when we were kids he would let us tie him up to a tree (laughs) while we played cowboys and indians yep that's what she says but what I thought was interesting is you never really see that from the butler,
0: No, and, and we really never see the butler again. Ever. It's so just like a fun color we'll detail, I guess. It's, I mean, as weird as, as a phrase that is for so many reasons. Yeah. Um, well, the, the sexy men do not end with Mason oh, at the at end the house. Suzanne's father, who had been seated in one of the chairs, stood as Suzanne walked in with Ken. To Ken, Mr. Hanlon looked as if he had just stepped out of the latest issue of Gentleman's Quarterly. He was a tall, slim man with steel gray hair and a bronze tan. He was wearing a gray cotton sweater and white linen pants.
1: I love that everyone, first of all, in Sweet Valley High is tan.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I guess it's the 80s and it's like a beach town. Yeah,
1: and that... Why you would wear linen pants with a cotton sweater makes absolutely no <laughs> sense to me in Southern California.
0: Also, he has a sexy name, though. His name is Hank Hanlon.
1: And he wants to go by Hank, which I find funny.
0: Yeah. His name is probably Henry, right? Yeah.
1: But that he's like, no, call me Hank. And Ken is freaked out mm-hmm. about this.
0: Um, also I feel like under the general, uh, rundown of boys, we can talk about this guy Mark, who is a friend of Suzanne's. He was the one who was a jerky, uh, a jerky boy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but first of all, when the book starts talking about, uh, the, all the friends that went to see Seventh Seal, um, the first guy that he mentions is somebody named Alan Partridge, which is totally the name of the Steve Coogan character. That's what I
1: thought. Yeah. I was like, it's like a famous
0: character. That
1: sounds familiar.
0: I don't know when Alan Partridge started, but it might have been later than 1986, so maybe that's where he got the idea for the name.
1: Interesting. Um,
0: there's a boy also named Paul Larkese, or Lark. Chasey, depending on whether they're doing Italian pronunciation, uh, who had acted in a lot of the Valley High theater productions. Valley High must be some other school, right? Because Sweet Valley High. I mean, Sweet maybe, Valley High, Valley High. The, this author decided to throw in Valley High as a cool slang for Sweet Valley High, but I don't think so. And then there was Mark Andrews. Mark was a film student at Sweet Valley College. He was very thin and had long black hair and piercing dark eyes everyone paid attention to every word he said. Ken didn't miss the fact that Mark was trying his best to impress Suzanne. What bugged him was that it seemed to be working. While comparing the film to other Bergman films, Mark finally turned to Ken. It was the first time he had ever acknowledged Ken's existence all evening. It seems you're bored by all of this, he remarked dryly. No, Ken replied, trying to sound intelligent. I think it's all really interesting, but I've never seen the film before tonight. Which one was Ingrid Bergman? Everyone in the group looked at Ken as if he had just landed from another planet. After a long moment, Suzanne spoke up. It's Ingmar Bergman, Ken. He was the director. Ingrid Bergman, the actress, wasn't in the film. Ken could see utter distaste in the condescending look Mark gave him. Don't worry, Ken, he said. People make that mistake all the time. The two of them look so much alike.
1: What I loved about <laughs> this scene is it reminded me of in my early 20s. I went to go see Drawing Restraint 9, which is this awful art house film with Bjork and other people. Okay. And it was like two and a half hours that should have been a half hour. And I wanted my life back, but I went with a bunch of art students that this was like an art film and it was going to mm-hmm. be really cool. And I laughed through most of it. And I was the only one in the theater who was laughing at it because it was so horrible. Like, there's this scene where Bjork, I think, becomes part of a whale, and she's cutting herself, like chunks of whale fat anyway it was miserable oh. and as we're leaving i tell all of them that was horrible never invite me to these films ever again and i never was <laughs> we never talked about the film we never mentioned if it was good or not i just put the kibosh and said i don't care if i'm a philistine i want my life back that was fucking
0: miserable. <laughs> well okay so me. i I'm your fortitude yeah Um, I, as an undergrad, was a cinema and media studies major at the University of Chicago. So, if that means anything to anybody listening, you can imagine that I uh, was a party to uh, several Mark Andrews-type conversations, and I'm sorry to say, I was probably playing the role of uh, silent friend Meg Winters, (laughs) because I, um, I mean, I, I... Think I like Seventh Seal just fine. Yeah. I, I appreciate Bergman. I would not be a Mark Andrews. Although, in my heart of hearts, I'm sure I would laugh if I heard somebody say what Ken said. Yeah. But I wouldn't laugh at, to his face. I wouldn't... Uh, well, it depends on how close... If you were a stranger, I wouldn't laugh to his face. No. Okay. If you had
1: just met him, <laughs> I think if you had known... I think I'd chuckle. No, I wouldn't laugh but.
0: because I would be like... Yeah, it's so weird that they have such similar names. Yeah. Very weird.
1: So that's, that was my thought. I, I thought more about my own experience of being akin in a group of uh, art students watching art films.
0: I think the only other boy that I have here is just a quick little passage um, from the poetry reading. One boy, a dark-haired senior named Ted Jensen, had read a very melodramatic short story about the death of a squirrel.
1: So is he a reoccurring character? i never heard of Ted
0: Jensen before. Is he,
1: like, all of a sudden, I feel like the end of this book becomes prominent or needed because Jessica's friend bails on her, Lila, or...
0: Oh, that's Winston. Winston Winston. Egbert. Okay. Which, yeah, Winston says something about how he wants to build a wire sculpture of a computer to represent the town's main industry, which is the first time that that's been referenced as the town's main industry, although there are a lot of people involved in, like, computer chips and stuff in the town. Um, Because I didn't... I was trying to track that. Yeah, Winston saves the day. He's a great boy. That's a good good boy to mention. Any other boys that...
1: Well there is the sophomore wide receiver who's good friends with Ken, who kind of think of his name. I think his name's
0: Scott maybe. Scott oh yeah, they have some good natured ribbing. Um,
1: they kinda go back and forth with each other. He kind of is like, Buddy, I don't know what you see in this girl kind of thing. And he's the one that said like we all make mistakes. His name is Scott Trost. (laughs) There you go.
0: T R O S T. Interesting name.
1: There's Suzanne's brother who's like.
0: Oh, Jeremy, I think is his yeah, name. Yeah, Jeffrey, I'm sorry. Jeffrey. Jeffrey is his name. He's very like over this family.
1: Yes, and very much a Jeffrey from a pretentious family. <laughs> um, what other males are there that I, I mean, the coach and the.
0: How, what do you think principal. of Mr. Collins?
1: I like Mr. Collins. He seems like a good family man. They make a point of saying he and yes, yeah, Teddy kid. is
0: on his shoulders at the picnic. Yeah. Oh, Teddy!
1: I like that they make him be like the smart guy. It's like you need to do your schoolwork, but I understand the importance of football. Like very understanding or
0: yeah, sympathetic. He's, he's an upstanding guy. I keep oh. trying to tell everybody, Mr. Collins is amazing. I'm glad you agree with me. Yeah, he seems like a a,
1: a good guy, a good teacher. One that is understanding of his students, uh, trying to get them to achieve the way they need to achieve, but understands not everyone's brilliant, if that makes sense. Like, Uh that he teaches to all of his students, not just the students that give him the feedback that he needs for teaching. Yeah. Which I think is remarkable. That's
0: a really good quality in a teacher. Yeah. A beautiful boy is a beautiful boy is a beautiful boy. Well, now that we are drawing to a close, I have to ask you the very important question I ask all my guests, which is, Molly McCuller, are you a Jessica or an Elizabeth? Oh, I'm an Elizabeth by far yeah yes you are (laughs) i was like i don't even know why we're having this there's a right answer and a wrong answer and this is one of those times for you (laughs) what would you have done if i said oh i'm a jessica i'd be like no that's exactly what i would have said like i'm afraid you're mistaken um, one thing oh, yeah. that I think we could probably do in the future is, if people are, have trouble with the question, we'll turn to the part of the book where it comes in every book, where they describe the wh- the major way in which the two identical twins are different. Yeah, which comes like sometime in the first chapter of every book, and in this way, this chapter it's spelled out pretty clearly. Yeah. Um, Jessica does a good job in this book of pulling her shit together, but she's still. It
1: seemed like it was the first time. That she,
0: like, actually pulled something Yeah, Aww. it did. It did seem like that. And Elizabeth was really proud of her. Uh.
1: So, that was kind of funny to me. Yeah. But she seems to be the twin that carries them, so to speak. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, Molly, thank you so much for this wonderful discussion. I'm glad that uh, we found a book that was so full of beautiful lessons for the young uh, minds of the 1980s. Well, and some of it maybe should be read today. You never know. Sure. Well, hear that, everybody? Uh, Book number 27, Love Struck. That's the one to show to the uh, preteens and teens in your life. (laughs) Or maybe adults. (laughs) Everybody, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, What I'm going to ask you to do this week is if you have not uh, rated or reviewed the podcast on Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes, just take a second to do that uh, now. It would be so helpful And then as a side note, if maybe that's not the program you use or whatever, uh, tell a friend about the show. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people on Instagram have been like, we're at at Sweet Valley Diaries on Instagram, people have like tagged their friends, like, I think you'd like the show. Uh, And I super, super appreciate that you guys are like, absolutely all of the reason to keep on making the podcast, other than the part of the podcast where I just enjoy forcing my friends to read uh, Sweet Valley High novels and talk about them with me. Uh, But, you know, if it weren't for you listeners, I would just not record those conversations. (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much. Uh, See you next week. We should tease the uh <laughs> oh my god yeah, you think i would the have this down right now we should tease the next book maybe just read the tease blind and listeners will be like why didn't they bring this up before but but no 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 gladiators this was just as blindsiding for us as it was for uh for as it will be for you and your ears yeah i'm gonna read this part right, right there
1: can elizabeth help lynn henry overcome her shyness Find out in Sweet Valley High, number 28, Alone in the Crowd, available in April.
0: Yay! Yay. I've been really wanting to know what's up with Lynn Henry and her shyness.
1: I will say, I was oddly drawn, like, what is it going to (laughs) be? Is she going to be like being uh, not kidnapped but blackmailed by some secret organization or does she just have a crush that went
0: awry well guess what Molly you do not have to wait till April to find out this is true which is a good thing as it is mid May <laughs> that would be a long wait